Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Roger Launius will join us to discuss Apollo's legacy. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, it has been 50 years since the landings on the moon, but what have we really learned? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Roger Launius. Dr. Launius is a senior curator in the Division of Space History at the Smithsonian Institute's National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. Between 1990 and 2002, he served as the chief historian of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration through the new book, Apollo's Legacy, Perspectives on the Moon Landings. Dr. Launius, very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Well, it is certainly our pleasure to have you back on the program. And again, it's been 50 years since we've been on the moon. It's certainly a long time. and People thought we'd certainly be back. Where are we? What have we learned since the landings? Various perspectives have, do we have from this event? Yeah, by the way, those of us who were alive in 1969 also thought we'd be back on the moon before now. But uh, be that as it may, we have learned a lot uh, from the Apollo program, and our perspectives have changed over time. The most significant thing that we have learned has been about the science of, of the moon. And uh, Apollo uh, taught us how the moon was formed and uh, the scientific uh, uh, structure of that particular body in the solar system vis-a-vis the Earth and other bodies as well. So that's a really fundamental shift and and from a scientific perspective, pretty important. It rewrote the textbooks. But most people are probably more concerned about how we have learned how to fly in space and to engage in activities that uh, would take us beyond this, this planet, ultimately to stay someplace beyond this planet. Apollo really drove our knowledge base about that, and of course we've added to it since that time. What were the things that drove the program to begin with? I mean, the post view of this being the Cold War space race, and this was the thing that was going to launch us in, and a whole new era would begin. Really, the, uh, the Apollo program was driven by that Cold War rivalry, and without that, we certainly wouldn't have gone, at least on the schedule that we went in the 1960s. Yeah, it's hard to think back on this, and, and especially if you were not alive at the time, to sort of appreciate how desperate that Cold War rivalry was. The Americans and the Russians were locked in this struggle in which there was going to be a winner and there was going to be a loser. And two diametrically opposed political and economic systems were duking it out, basically, for primacy in the world. Everybody knows this. It's true true today, and it was true in the 60s as well. The future belongs to the people who can master science and technology. And because of that, the demonstration of science and technology, and Apollo is a terrific example of this, was fundamentally about persuading all the other nations of the world to throw in their lot with the American side of this rivalry. And certainly we had technology and the expertise to really accomplish this in a way that no other nation really had at that time. 
Yeah, no question about that. The uh, the Americans had a technology and science base that was uh, obviously second to none in the world. The Soviets, uh, while they had been successful in winning World War II, that was a command economy that uh, that uh, had the capability to accomplish uh, things, especially when you didn't look too deeply at them. Uh, and that gave them the benefit of early successes in space. But the reality was they did not have the broadness of capability that the Americans had, and they also didn't have the economic uh, wherewithal that the Americans had to pull this off. You know, looking back at the post view that this was a concerted effort, everybody was behind it, but it certainly wasn't the case. There were critiques from, from both sides of the aisle. Now, that's true. Success, of course, has the fathers, and that's the case with Apollo. When we look back on it, everybody sort of says, oh, yeah, that was great. And at the time, not so much. Uh, there, were, there was political uh, criticisms from the American left who thought that we could spend that money better on other things. There was criticisms from the American right who thought that we could spend that money on other things or give it back to American citizens as a tax cut. And for those reasons, you find a large number of people who sort of criticize this, mostly because of the money that was spent, not because they disagreed with the idea of going to the moon. They just didn't want to pay for it. That's, that's still the case. You know, NASA has this overwhelmingly positive reputation and has had all along. But when told that, you know, we want to do this, that, or the other, and it's going to cost X number of dollars, the public almost always says, I'm not sure I want to spend my money in that particular way. And in any sort of opinion polls or surveys that are taken, typically you find that if you ask people the question, do you like NASA, do you like space flight, do you like astronauts, everybody will say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. But do you like it better than name the thing of importance that we spend our money on in the federal government, do you like it more than that? And the answer is almost always never. Past since the Apollo landings, the space program certainly doesn't have quite that same cachet, nor does the idea of space exploration. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, there's a, you know, there's a, there's an old comment made by a wit in which, he, in, in which he said, you know, NASA has been capable of doing the one thing I never thought was possible, and that is make space flight seem boring. And in that context, NASA's sort of routine approach to doing things, you know, one step at a time, no, no big thrill, no, no serious sort of, uh, you know, stay tuned for the next episode type of thing that has made it seem sort of routine and people lose interest. And in that sense, they're not paying attention. Whenever NASA does something big, we all sort of stop and pay attention and say, wow, that was great. But otherwise, we don't pay a lot of attention to it, and consequently, it's not in the public mind the way it was. Apollo was all new and different. Every time the astronauts did something, it was something new. And because of that, it had a, a sort of a sustained emphasis that you don't see today. But even in that context, by the first couple of, to the first couple of missions to the moon, uh, the public was really not terribly involved. And on Apollo 13, for instance, before they had the accident en route to the moon in 1970, they were planning a primetime broadcast from the spacecraft back to Earth, and that got canceled by the, by the networks because they did not want to interrupt their evening television programming. All that changed, of course, as soon as there was the accident, and then it became a very newsworthy event, and people were you know, waiting to see what would happen and paying close attention. Beforehand, they were just sort of bored. Do you think the legacy now is different since there are more agents uh, involved in spaceflight? There's other countries now that are becoming spacefaring and, of course, private industry. 
Sure. There is uh, obviously more actors on the stage in terms of, of space activities. And uh, some of them are quite capable, and there's some national programs that are not American that have really demonstrated great capabilities. And we'll see more of that in the future, and some of them are capturing the attention of people that, that uh, as they engage in, in serious activities in space. You know, I'm looking forward to see that uh, Chinese mission to the moon, for instance. And that may well happen. We'll have to see, but it's quite possible. One can almost hope for sort of like a Gene Roddenberry for this 90 countries. Yeah, no, no, no question about that. And, and I do believe that uh, the first human mission back to the moon and certainly the first human mission to Mars will probably almost certainly be some sort of international endeavors. It is such a part of the sort of DNA of space exploration today that you do this as a consortium of, of entities. And, uh, and whether it's multiple nations or multiple nations with various entrepreneurial firms or some other structure that might be created, I think it's going to look like that when we go back to the moon and ultimately on to Mars. But all of those sort of trace their fundamental DNA to these early Apollo missions. Oh, of course. Um, Apollo set the standard and, uh, and, and created the, the sense that this was doable and uh, pioneered the technology that would be, be necessary to do it. Now, our technology has moved a long way beyond Apollo today, but the basic structure is the same. We're going to need a launcher, we're going to need a spacecraft, and we're going to need a lander. And, and, and there may be a couple of other things we'd like to have as well, like a gateway orbital system around the moon. But beyond that, it's, it's the same technologies or the same type of technologies that were built in the 1960s. July 20th is the anniversary here of the first time. I'm curious, uh, what events are planned? I think there's going to be great excitement associated with all the events. And there's, there's events being planned all around the country. And certainly in Washington, D.C., there's going to be a major activity with the National Air and Space Museum on the, on the mall, along with NASA, to do sort of a, a, a really big celebration on the National Mall. There's going to be various types of galas and other events around the country. I'm participating in an event uh, at the Adler Planetarium uh, during the the week that Apollo takes place. There's all kinds of things that are going to commemorate and celebrate and hopefully reflect on this 50-year anniversary uh, of Apollo. And, of course, the astronauts who uh, are still with us, of which there are many, uh, will be out in full force at that particular point in time. Do you have some final words that you think about Apollo's legacy? Yeah, I mean, one of the cool things about Apollo was that it demonstrated that humans can, uh, can do pretty much what we can envision. If we put our mind to it, put sufficient resources against it, define it as a series of tasks to be accomplished, and then carry it out. And, and that was one of the great legacies of Apollo, is that, is that this understanding that, and, and it's a phrase that we've, that's almost become trite, but, but it's nonetheless very real. If we can put a man on the moon, why can't we? And you can fill in the blank with any hard question you want to ask. Want to ask. And, uh, you know, so why can't we cure cancer? Why can't we solve global warming? And the answer to that question is we can. Uh, it takes a lot of time, energy, dedication, resources, but it can be done. And uh, I find that an enormously inspiring and optimistic message. We were just talking with Dr. Roger Launius through the new book, Apollo's Legacy, Perspectives on the Moon Landings. And Dr. Launius, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you much. Appreciate it. 
And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.